0: Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Revelation chapter number five, if you would, for just a moment. Revelation chapter number five. And I'd, I'd like to ask if, if, you, if you are able, if you don't mind, I, I don't think we have to do this out of religious formalism, but I, I do like to do this at Valley View. The church, the Lord gives me the privilege of pastoring. I would like to ask if you would please stand to your feet, out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. I think it's good sometimes that when we open the pages of our Bible, especially we, many of us who are pastoring churches, let's be honest, many times we open God's Scripture and and we're desiring that God would give us something to to help others. And we study Scripture in that way so many times. And and I don't believe that's a bad thing, but every now and then we need to pause and just be reminded that this is God-breathed. This was given by inspiration of the Almighty and is given by inspiration to us. We open God's Word, we're opening the mind of God. We come to the mind of God in Revelation chapter number 5 and we find ourselves in a very peculiar place. Now you're welcome to search out and agree or disagree on the on my perspective on this, but I do not believe that the book of Revelation is a vision that God gave John. I I think when you read the opening statements of Revelation chapter number 4, that he is literally caught up in the Spirit. And, And when John says, behold, and when John said, I heard, and when John said, I saw, I believe that that God in His omnipotent ability is allowing John to see the very vision of the things themselves. And if you would grant me the application of that truth into Revelation 5, I believe that John is seeing something that you and I, the saved in Christ Jesus, will one day take part of. Could I say it like this? That when we read these verses... We are present in that prophetic future. And if John would have had the, I don't know if I could say privilege, but the opportunity of meeting you and I, that he could pick us out in this crowd. So, with that in mind, let us read from this God inspired book, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. Round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Father, I pray that You would open our eyes and convict our hearts and give us understanding tonight. Lord, I ask You that You would empty me of myself and fill me of Your Spirit. Lord, if there's anything that lies between me and You, I pray by the blood of Jesus Christ that You would remove it. And Lord, that You would communicate to Your men tonight. And Father, I submit myself to You. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I love these portions of Scripture that put the glory of God on clear display. I love Isaiah chapter number 6. I love Revelation chapter number 5. If I could have just been there at the transfiguration and seen the Lord Jesus Christ magnified with Moses and Elijah there, and and been part of that company to see such glorious things. But yet, sometimes His Holy Spirit will open up His Word and grant us privileges that even the prophets and disciples did not have collectively. And I come to passages like this and sometimes I step away and I feel so unworthy because, let's be honest men, we are, we are unworthy. There was a day where we were dead in our trespasses and sins, where we were short, so short of His glory. And it was only because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we were able to come nigh. And it is only by the blood of Christ that we are able to come boldly before the throne. It is not of our own works or our own deeds, lest we should boast. I'm telling you, it's only because of His grace and His mercy. Everyone say hallelujah. To that. Some of you got nervous. Are we Pentecostal? Yeah, you can say hallelujah. It's a Bible word. Amen. But can I be honest with you? That even though the Bible says not to be weary in well doing, sometimes I get so weary. And there's probably more times where this is true than it's not true. And I'm driving home and I'm just wishing that God would send someone more capable than I. Well, if my church members knew me like I know me, I wouldn't come to my church. (laughs) I get so discouraged and I make so many mistakes. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm able to pick myself up and continue Sometimes I start asking this question, and maybe you ask this question too. Why should I continue? Why should I? I've talked to a number of missionaries that go to the field, and they go to the field with with visions of grandeur and wonderlust of what the Lord will do, and and glory to God for that. And they begin to express their, their love for a people and their desire to see the the people in uganda or the the people in in iran or the people uh, in some other far and distant land uh, that they would 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 come to christ and be saved And we rehearsed those glorious missionary stories of old, how entire tribes come to Christ and come to faith and are gloriously saved, and with great um, excitement, enthusiasm, and hope, our missionaries go to the field and find out that the people really don't want them there. And they ask the same question Why am I here? Is this really worth it? How many times, pastor, have you uh, come down after pouring your heart and soul into a church and and feeling that maybe the Lord is going to do a work and it's uh, one point of criticism after another point of criticism after another point of criticism and by the time you get to the car, you're ready to turn in your resignation because you just don't feel like it's worth it. Let me tell you where our problem is. Our problem is, we're doing it for the wrong reason. Look, I I have great admiration for the missionary who goes to the field because he thinks he's going because he loves the people. But, missionary, if you're here tonight, let me tell you this your love for the people will not sustain you when those people don't love you back. Pastor, I don't mean to talk down to you because I'm half your age. But I've learned something real quick in my short years of ministry, and that's this, that my love for the people and my care for the people, although it is genuine, although it is real, I am a man and it becomes so fickle. And if I'm doing it just for the people, it's not going to get the job done. But there is there is a reason why we do this that is greater than the people. There is a reason that we do this that is greater than just our duty or, or greater than our obedience. If you're here tonight and, and you feel the Lord has called you to preach or called you to the mission field and you're struggling with those things because you see these missionaries come in with, uh, with holes worn in the bottom of their shoes and stories of, of poverty and struggle and you think, why on earth would anyone want to do that? Let me tell you, there is one reason why we do this. And it's not necessarily for the people, although we should love the people. It's not just out of duty, although sometimes we need to rise up and and do things out of duty. Here is the reason why we do this. It's because He is worthy. That's why. Because He is worthy. And if you are struggling tonight, my entire purpose in this message tonight is just to remind you of one thing, that He's worthy. That He's worthy. That He's worthy of every single sacrifice. That He's worthy of every moment of study. He's worthy of every second that we agonize in prayer. He is worthy of every failure that lies in your past and every failure that is still yet to come in your future. He is worthy of every amount of criticism. He is worthy of every amount of persecution. He is worthy of coming into cold churches with five or six people that don't even seem like they want to hear the word because you're not there for them you're there for one purpose because he's worthy he's worthy he's worthy he's worthy i want you to notice in revelation chapter number five these people that gather around the throne and begin to praise him and worship him saying hallelujah praise to his name i want you to notice that the bible says in verse number nine that it's a new song they sung a new song, saying, "Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood, uh, by Thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests." priests. Priests, for we shall reign on the earth. What are they saying in this new song? They are saying that He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. And God help us if we thought that we were in it for the retirement plan. Oh no, we're here for one reason. Because He is worthy. Now for the remainder of my time, I just want to walk through a few moments where some of God's servants had to come to a place where they found out that He was worthy. It seems like this is the great pattern of all the great men of Scripture that are used in a mighty or magnificent way by God, is that before they come across any great accomplishment in their ministry, they are first brought unto Jesus that they might learn of His worth. If I were to turn through the pages of my Bible and introduce you to the first man, you know him well. His name is Paul. We hear his story as he begins to tell it in Acts chapter number 9, and I, I, I turn over and I, I see him fall to the ground as this bright and shining light comes above him, and his l- eyes have lost the ability to see, and the company that's around him seems to hear something but see nothing, and Paul begins to shake and tremble there on the ground as he falls to the earth as he recounts the story in verse number 4, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 verse number 4 that he heard a voice saying unto him Saul Saul why persecutest thou me and he said who art thou you know what he's asking he's asking are you worthy are you worthy who are you who are you and some of us we've forgotten who God is He says that next word, Who art thou, Lord? But it's his next response that should really shake us. In verse number 5, he says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul's response in verse number 6, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, 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 what wilt thou have me to do? Before we will ever come to the place where we are asking, Lord, what would You have us to do? We must first see that He is worth the calling. That He is worth the work. That He is worth the effort. But be reminded here, men, that before He sends you, He calls you. This is true of every single disciple. His first words to the disciples were simply this, follow me. Follow me. Follow me before He sent them into the masses and sent them unto the world to preach the gospel first, He showed them that He had the ability to feed the 5,000. He brought them near and, and walked upon the water. Why? So, he, so that they would see His worth. He needed them to know that He was the kind of God who could make dead men live and blind men see. That He was the kind of God that could feed a multitude on a meager lunch so that when they had hungry bellies in that place of service, that they would know that their God would always be able to provide and their God was always worth every effort. You see, Jesus always calls us to Himself before He calls us to a place of ministry. What will that have me to do? Some of us are in a place of wondering in our ministries. Wondering. Perhaps you started off with with great gusto. Win my nation to Christ. Win my city to Christ. And you had your first deacons meeting. (laughs) Whoa. Oh man. When I first came to the church that I'm serving at right now, they they had a they had a heart for missions, but I'll, I'll be honest, they just not ever really done that before. And I can remember looking across the table at this pulpit committee, and and uh, and, and we're having these discussions about. Um, you know what my my doctrine is and what my priorities are and, and they started asking me you know if if you were to come to, to this church you know what would you know what would what would it be like what were what are the visions that you have and I can remember telling them if 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 the Lord brings me here, we are not just going to support missions, we're gonna take part in it. Yeah. And I looked at their eyes and I could tell that they were really excited but they had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> Yeah, missions! They had no clue that that meant not keeping money in, but sending money out. They had no clue that that meant not keeping people in, but sending people out. I can't wait to lose church members. Not because they're running away, but because they're running to something. And see, that was was my vision. That was my desire. And I believe that in every single pew probably rests a man that's got a heart with a vision for what God could do. Oh, no doubt, Moses was the same way. Oh, the audacity of this man, this child, placed in a basket, preserved by God, raised in Pharaoh's home, but it seems like he never forgot who he was and what God he served. And now he's a young man full of zeal and courage, and he's ready to to shake the foundations of this earth with the power of God. He sees an Egyptian acting a little bit unruly and thinks, now's the time, and takes his life. Things didn't pan out so well. For 40 years now, he's wandering in a wilderness leading sheep, thinking God is done with him. He's wandering. All of that vision and all that passion that was bottled up inside of him now completely extinguished. And how does God remedy a wandering soul? No, I'll tell you how. He reminds that man that he is worthy. If we were to leaf through the pages of our Bible and land in Exodus chapter number 3, you know the story well. I know the audience that I'm speaking to. You probably know it far greater than I do. And there he is in Exodus chapter number 3 and and he sees this bush that's burning but yet it's not consumed. It's an unusual sight, no doubt. And he turns aside to see this thing and as he approaches the bush he feels the warmth of the flame upon his face but not realizing the things that are about to happen and unfold and the change that's about to occur in his life as he thought that God was completely done with him. But God wasn't done. God was about to remind him that he is worthy. And as he turns across to to see that bush, he draws nigh and and he hears a voice come from out of that bush. In verse number 4 of Exodus 3, the Bible says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, that phrase has always gripped my heart that when the Lord saw that He turned aside to see. If you're wondering tonight, maybe you need to get your eyes off all the things that trouble and discourage and vex your soul and turn aside just to see what God might be up to. And as he turns aside to see this bush, he hears a voice that I'm not sure he's heard in a very long time. And it's not the voice of his father-in-law or his wife. It's not the bleeding of the sheep that he's been leading in the wilderness. But instead it's the same voice that said, let there be light! And there was light. And that voice turned its direction towards Moses himself. And he spoke. And he begins to call him toward unto the midst of the bush and said, Moses Moses, Moses, and maybe someone tonight, God is calling your name. And he's saying, "Turn aside and see that I'm worthy." Moses didn't get it quite yet, but as he drew nigh hither in verse number five, God says, "Draw nigh hither and put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground." You know what God is saying? He's saying, "I'm worthy. I'm worthy." I'm worthy. Take your shoes off, Moses. I'm not just some man. I'm God. I'm the creator of all things. And for those wondering souls, can I remind you that God wasn't done with Moses and God's not done with you? He just needs you to be reminded that He is worthy. See, Moses perceives this problem even with the people. God, you want me to go to Pharaoh and you want me to tell him to let his people go, let your people go, and and then these people are just going to follow after me? Moses sees the problem. And in an unoffensive way, I think Moses is basically saying, Whom shall I say, sent me? Like, who shall I say, what is your name? You know what he's saying? God, I'm not sure the people know that you're worthy. Could I give them Your name? And the Lord gives them this, gives him this, this glorious response. And we could look down to verse number 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and, and shall say unto them, The God of our fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? You see the distinction here? The God of our fathers? The God of our fathers? You mean the God that's forgotten about us? You mean the God who hasn't heard us? You mean the God who brought us into slavery? You mean the God that, that's got us stuck here? That God? That God? see, the people had lost sight of how worthy God is. And Moses says, Whom shall I say? Or what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, Tell them, I am that I am. And He said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. And if you're wondering tonight, that same I am that was the God of Moses is the same I am that we are gathered here in the presence of tonight. Pastor Jared, what are you saying? I'm saying He's worthy. It'll take you from wondering to willingness. And Moses said, I'll go. Some of you aren't wondering, but you sure are getting to a place where you're wavering. You're not aimless anymore, but but that vision is, is, is a little less desirable because it seems a lot more impossible know yeah, that was the case for Isaiah, I believe. If we could, I'm going to go over to Isaiah chapter number six, again, a passage that's familiar to all of us. You can close your eyes and quote it if you like, or you can meet me there and read it. But in, in Isaiah chapter number six, I've always been a little perplexed at how this chapter begins. Yes, we focus on the throne room and, and in our missions revivals and our missions conferences we, uh, we preach that, uh, that, that question from, from God whom will go for us and who shall I send and, and we focus on that answer here am I, send me. But we forget how the chapter begins. In Isaiah chapter number 6 it opens this way in the year that King Uzziah died. Here is a prophet of Israel the great hope of what God will do. And even though Uzziah was not a perfect king, the kingdom was experiencing a a moment of prosperity and fruitfulness. So this is kind of unique for Isaiah because that was not the case for Jeremiah. (laughs) Not the case for Amos or Hosea. It wasn't the case for Daniel. Daniel was in, in captivity. But for Isaiah, things seem to be going well. And I'll just say this as a a side note, and I don't want to make too much about this, but I personally don't believe that God blesses a ministry. I think God blesses a man. Now, I want to be careful about that. We should not put man on a pedestal because it is not that man. It is God's blessing upon him and his yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. But if you could just think about this for a moment. Uh, When when God wanted to to procreate all of humanity, He chose a man. Uh, When God wanted a a chosen people that would become a peculiar people, He chose a man in Abraham. Uh, When God wanted a king, he, He chose a man to lead that nation. When Jesus Christ came down... He took on the form of a servant and it was made in the likeness of a man. When Jesus formed the church, He chose 12 men. And, and I'm just saying that sometimes it's good to have the organization of ministry, but the Lord uses men. Here we are, a man, King Uzziah, who had been blessed by God. And wasn't that the pattern of Israel's blessing? As, As the king went, so went the nation. When they had a godly king like David, the nation prospered. But when they had a wicked king, the nation suffered. And now Uzziah is dead. And all of the things that Isaiah was really hoping for, I don't know if it's going to happen now. We're wavering a little bit. That that building project that you, you thought, oh, we're going to do it this year, and and now that we're into March, almost April, and the finances aren't coming in, quite like we were hoping for. You know, we're... Ah, uh, maybe not the Lord told me next year. We blame way too many things on the Lord. We all get to this place sometimes where the Lord has Definitely laid the vision in front of us, but we we begin to waver and make excuse and think, oh, I was just in an emotional moment, or oh, I was just off to the side. Some of you young men that the Lord has called to preach, but now that you're getting up to that age where you're having to choose what college to go to, you're thinking, well, I'll just go ahead and and pursue this engineering thing, and then, you know, maybe I'll come back to preaching later. And, And you're wavering a little bit. Well, I was in that missions conference last year, but you know, the Lord hadn't, hadn't done the amazing things I thought He'd do. And now you're wavering a little bit. And here Isaiah is, now that the king's dead, what's going to happen? And could I just remind you that the Lord had a reminder for him that it's not about the king. It's not about the resources that you thought were going to come in. It's not about the circumstances that you thought you were going to be able to minister under or pastor under. Because it's not about those things. We do this for one reason. It's because He is worthy and Isaiah needed a reminder of that and when we come to verse number 1 yes it starts this way that in the year that King Uzziah died but it continues this way I saw also the Lord and where was he? he was sitting upon a throne I love the correlation there the human king had fallen but the king of kings was high and lifted up and that's how we must see him and if we are wavering let's just be reminded that He is. He is worthy he's worthy and long before Isaiah said here am I send me he first saw that he is worthy one more and I'll be be brief because I just glimpsed at the clock and I'm kind of done but I've always been intrigued by this and and I'd like to show it to you. Let's get to John chapter 20 verse 19. I hope you don't mind using our Bibles this evening. I hope that's been okay with you. John chapter 20. I may have said 19. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Can I tell you three words that that had to have rocked everything the disciples thought was going to happen. Three words Jesus is dead. You know, we forget that there were, were three days between his death and his resurrection. Easter's coming up, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday here soon. And we look at the disciples, and there was something, there was something devastating that took place. They were so convinced he's establishing the kingdom right now that that they just couldn't get their mind on anything else. Now he's dead, and he's been dead for three days, and they find themselves weary and afraid and, and hiding. Verse number 19 of John chapter number <clears throat> John chapter number 20. Well, I ended up all the way in in uh, Revelation. John chapter number 20, verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. Notice this for the fear of the Jews, for the fear of the Jews, doesn't exactly look like a army of men that are about to shake the foundations of the earth, does it? They're assembled together and they're, they're scared to death. You know, the, with the exception of, of Judas, we all know what happened to him, and the exception of the Apostle John, who suffered much persecution until he died later, All the other disciples were martyred for their faith. Now listen carefully. They weren't shot in the back while they were running away either. They were charging straight into the teeth of persecution. Straight into the teeth of it. The Apostle Peter, hiding in this room in John chapter number 20, but church history tells us that he was actually hunted down, persecuted, captured. They're going to crucify him. He said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Savior. Turn the cross upside down because he is worthy and I am not. And that's how he died. Not running and shot in the back while he was retreating, but shot in the face while he was advancing. Wow! That is not what you see in John chapter 20 and verse 19, though, is it? For fear of the Jews, they're hiding. What happened between between the time they were hiding and the time they were dying? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. I'll tell you what happened. Verse 19, Then the same day at evening, when the first being the, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. They saw Him. And when they saw Him, yes, there were a lot of things that happened that we won't take the time to go into, but I'll tell you one thing that happened. They saw that He is worthy. That He is worthy. That He is worthy of every struggle. That He was worthy of their lives. That He is worthy of their resources. That He is worthy of their time. That He is worthy of sacrifice. That He is worthy of everything. Everything I have is His. And He can have it. And He can take it now. And if He tarries until next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and I end up penniless, and without my health and without any help, I will tell you right now, He will always be worthy. And one day we're going to find ourselves, not here, but there, in Revelation chapter number 5. And we that are in this room, saved by the grace of God, will be singing that same new song that worthy worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. And if you don't get anything else out of me ever in your life, you listen clearly to this, that He is worthy. Father, we thank you so much for your grace towards us. And I pray that we would never lose sight of your worth. Father, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.